0: Of Ecclesiastes, really what we should have done is eight or nine sessions over the weekend so you get the whole vibe of the thing and then well, you'd all be comatose by then anyway I guess. Uh, but we're going to go to the end of the story and you're not going to get the whole flow or punch of it. So what he's been doing, what Solomon's been doing is making he's making a case to convince us that life under the sun is meaningless, and, and he wants you to feel that. <coughs> so if you've got a Bible there, in about one minute, I'm going to walk you through the whole of Ecclesiastes, and then we'll go to the, the end bit, okay? Yeah? All right? So chapter one, what do we see here, so chapter one, he says everything feels like Groundhog Day, again and again and again, and especially as you get older, you, you feel that. And life under the sun, and I think that's, that's the idea of under the sun, is without some kind of special revelation, if God hadn't spoken to us, it's not the same as being an atheist. If God hadn't spoken to us especially, how to make sense of life under the sun. So chapter 1, everything feels like Groundhog Day, around and around and around. We're only here for five minutes, we get bored and no one will remember us. That was yesterday morning. Chapter 2, he says, well, let's have a look for the answer. Chapter 2, he looks at the idea of pleasure, wisdom and work. Uh, and they're all dead ends. Chapter 3, second, second yesterday, we looked at the idea of the seasons of life. And he said, "There's a time for this and a time for that, and we have eternity in our hearts, and yet we die like the animals. Is it any wonder we live with the human race lives with this anxiety?" Okay, and then he goes off to actually show you a whole lot more things. Chapter four, he looks at the idea of, "All right, well, it's not just that that life feels meaningless, but so much of humanity lives with injustice and cruelty, and the fat cats push the thin cats around," as I think was Peter Garrett said. Okay. Um, the world's full verse 4. The world runs on envy of people, um, envy of one another. Uh, and then uh, he, he does it. But, but some things are better than others. So, for example, friendship together, uh, being together in things is better than being alone. You go to chapter 5. He does talk about religion. He says, beware of religion. There's too many, too many words. Be careful of what you say before God. Second half of chapter 5, he talks about wealth and possessions. He says, basically, if you love money, you'll never have enough. And for all you accumulate, there's no pockets in shrouds. You're born naked, you die naked. Uh, you get to chapter 6, uh, saying some people are rich and actually can't enjoy it. That's a cruel uh, irony. You can be really rich and not be able to enjoy it. Uh, chapter 7 is about being wise under the sun. So, for example, it's better to be patient than impatient. Uh, don't don't live in the past. You've got to live in the present. Part of the problem, though, with chapter 7 is some of it is kind of like uh, a bit cynical. Not, we've got to weigh it up with the rest of the Bible. So, so don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly evil. Just kind of pick the line of least resistance. He talks about men and women kind of hating each other and when relationships go bad. So you've got to weigh up what he said in chapter 7 against the, the rest of the Bible. Chapter 8, don't upset the king and the, the ones who are powerful. And then in the middle of chapter 8 he says there seems to be no justice under the world. People do the wrong thing and they don't get punished and so people continue to do the wrong thing. Where, where's the justice is what he asks. And uh, the wicked get what the righteous deserve and the righteous get what the wicked deserve. So what's the point of it all? Chapter 9, he talks about the randomness of life the time and change happen and some people get rich just by good luck and some people die in accidents just by bad luck, how do you make sense of it all? Chapter 9, and oftentimes he says, enjoy life if you can. I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, 9 and 10, chapter 9 and 10 are about Proverbs and kind of the the way to live. And then chapter 11, he says, life might be unpredictable and risky, but you need to have a go because you don't know what might happen. All right, now I hope you've got all that, no problem. So... uh, (laughs) But maybe you'll be motivated to go and read the book. Just read a chapter a day uh, and, and have a think about it. All right. When well, we get to chapter um, 11 and 12, uh, let me tell you something. Here we go. <coughs> we here? Yeah, all right. The, the BBC made a series called The Human Body. Um, and uh, they, they talked about what you'll achieve over a lifetime. So if you're an average human being, here's what you'll achieve. Uh, In your first uh, year, you'll dribble 145 litres of saliva. uh, You can look forward to that. If you've got little kids, you'll think, what, only 145 litres? It seems like more. Uh, Then you'll go on to uh, blink 415 million times, uh, grow 15 metres of fingernails, spend eight years at work, three and a half years eating, six months at the toilet, Uh, Statistically, you'll have two children and four grandchildren. You'll learn to distinguish, they say, between 10 million colours. You'll shed 23 kilos of dead skin. Now, I don't know if you can see that, but that's dead skin on a foot. So over a a lifetime, 23 kilos of dead skin. Grow 1,000 kilometres of head hair. Well, some of us will, anyway. Uh, And 100, look at these, 100, no, here, so there's 1,000 kilometres of head hair. Uh, okay, that's a very long ponytail she's got. Uh, yep, yeah. but what I do like is 185 centimeters of nose hair. Uh, that one, that, how do you like this one? <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Uh, as well as that, you'll um, kiss for two weeks, uh, statistically, talk for 12 years. Some of us might do be better than 12 years, but talk for 12 years, uh, including two and a half years on the phone eat 7,300 eggs. I reckon I'm punching above my weight on that one. And 150 kilos of chocolate, that will have statistically taken you 79 years, and then you'll die. And thanks for coming, folks. And is that all there is? Is that all there is? So remember what he's asking, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 3, what does man, people, gain by all their toil, in which they toil under the sun? <coughs> So You work hard all your life, you do all those things, but is it? what does it mean? Is it just you grow? How much nose hair you grow? Is that all it is? Well, there's two themes that run through Ecclesiastes, kind of two, and they seem quite different, but they join up at the end. The first one is this, that life is hebel. Life is uh, uh, meaningless. Life is a vapour. The, the ESV goes for <coughs> vanity. Uh, what does it mean? Here's... Uh, This lady, Rachel Dillon, the scholar. Hebel is a breath, a vapor, a substance substance that's unseen, yet experienced, short-lived, yet ephemeral. As such, Hebel represents all that is fleeting. Life is Hebel. Okay. Um, And he'll start off by saying, vanity of vanities, that word. Hebel, Hebel, says the preacher, everything is fleeting. Everything's empty. And so he's worked his way through over 11 chapters if you go to read, what you'll see is this. Uh, I hope you like this. This is kind of animation, right? Um, pleasure is Achievement, wisdom, work, envy, political popularity, satisfaction through money. None of those things kind of last or deliver. All right. So that's one theme, and I hope you kind of felt that. <coughs> the second theme is enjoy life if you can. So as you breathe through, he's not saying be miserable. He's like enjoy it if you can. So chapter three, two, five, eight, all there. Uh, one that I like is this one. You get to chapter nine. He says, "Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not um, let not oil be lacking on your head. So there you go. Wear white and uh, have a shiny head. It's good for you. Uh, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life." That the vain thing is, once again, don't forget, life will be meaningless, but enjoy it if you can, uh, that God has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So enjoy life if you can. Enjoy life if you can. Now those two themes about enjoy life if you can, but remember, under the sun, if this is all there is, it's all temporary, If they come together at 11 verse 7. So what does he say? He's, here's kind of how, how he finishes up his argument. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Everything's fleeting. Okay? Everything's fleeting. Uh, let me go back. When I was uh, 10 years old, uh, as an old Scottish minister. My mum used to drag me along to church. Uh, God bless her. I wasn't a volunteer, but uh, she took me along to church. There was an old Scottish minister who came out from Scotland and preached week by week. uh, Very long sermons. He gave me this little Bible. Uh, The irony is now, uh, I've had this Bible nearly uh, nearly 50 years. The print's so small, I can hardly read it. But in the front, he wrote um, to a boy who didn't want to hear, didn't want to know about God, he he wrote these words. May the Lord bless his words contained in this beautiful little Bible to your immortal soul, Um, McLean. And he wrote Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Now, it took 10 more years for uh, God to switch the lights on and for me to work out what really mattered in life Uh, or God worked it out for me. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, the old minister had thought about things. So here's what he wrote. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. What's he saying? Enjoy being young. Enjoy it. There's all sorts of things that... uh, are great about being young. Actually, One of the, one of the ironies is I don't when you're young, I don't think you appreciate just how good it really is until it's kind of gone and then you realise, oh hey, it was really good. There's all sorts of stuff you can do like stay up past 9.30 at night. <laughs> like um, choose how you grow your hair instead of grown out your ears or your nose. Uh, play sport, exercise, All the life is new and exciting and fun and, and you're saying enjoy it. Enjoy it. But I tell you what you've got to be careful of, and that's this to not be seduced by the culture that we're in that feeds us constant lies. I'm preaching from the Bible, so I can't use the language it probably deserves about the, what our culture tells us. Because we live in a culture that's built on hedonism. Now, hedonism is about it's all about pleasure that you and if you're a hedonist, what do you worship? Well you worship sex and you worship youth. And they're the great kind of gods of our society. So you get an endless... Turn on the TV or pick up a magazine or look at the internet. There's an endless stream of beautiful young people and it's all lies. They, they live in the sun and they never have a wrinkle. They drink Coca-Cola all the time and they have perfect teeth. They live on KFC and Maccas and they have six-pack abs and it's all it's all nonsense, but you get it fed to you all the time. Um, if you're ahead a head in this society, then it's all about body image. Uh, now, there's a lot of people blame one particular young woman for the whole thing about body image. I'm not sure if it's true. I'll tell you a little bit about her and you can decide. Uh, here's her, a little bit of her biography. Uh, she'll never get cellulite, won't develop wrinkles, and will keep adding to her collection of more than 50 careers, which include an Olympic athlete, a surgeon, a fashion editor, and an astronaut. Hi. Anyone know who she is? Well done, yes, Barbie. Uh, well, there she is, Barbie. Actually, Barbie's, um, Barbie's built the same year as me. Now, she looks a little older. she's had some silicon work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, my favourite Barbie is um, Tattoo Barbie she <laughs> so, so she's uh, 58 years old. I did a little bit of research on the, on the web. Uh, people have, and one says, it's a doll. Play with a doll, that's fine. Um, there's a lot of people with too much time in their hands, right, complaining about things. Apparently, um, she's 58 years old now. By the time she hit her 35th birthday, there'd been a billion Barbies sold. That's a billion with a B. Uh, enough to hand-to-hand to go around the world, I think, right? Um, now, oh, I won't read the whole article, but same saying basically that she's a part of, though, the whole pressure that people feel about body image and why you've got to look a certain way and that sort of thing. So there's that side of it. The flip side is it's a doll. Play with it. Have fun. Right? Uh, by the way, if Barbie had been a real person, we'll, where we go back, that's what she'd look like now. And I reckon that's all right, but uh, yeah, that's Barbie at 50 something. Oh, yeah. So what does he say? Enjoy being young. But there's two dif- there's two differences there about enjoying your youth uh, compared to the society that we live in. Right? The first one is here, do you notice? Uh, Rejoice a young man, young person, young woman. Uh, Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. and Have a great time. Be excited. Do all sorts of stuff. (coughs) Um, Make the most of it. How's it different? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's saying, we're kind of getting towards the end. So he's beginning to think about, know that God will hold you accountable for what you've done with your youth. So don't waste it. Trust God that he's good and wise and knows how he wants us to live with it. It'll be a judgment day. Remember that. Enjoy your youth and remember that we're accountable to God for it. So that's for the young. But for those who are not so young, you notice the next verse, he says this. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. I think vexation is the idea of anxiety. So don't... For those of us who aren't so young anymore, don't don't be anxious about it, okay? And don't kill yourself trying to stay young. I think that's what he means. Put away pain from your body. Why? For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, is he saying that youth and the dawn of life... You we know, had the dawn of a life in the last 20 minutes. Is he saying for youth and the dawn of life are bad? No, not at all. He said, enjoy it, it's great. But what's, well, what's he saying? Youth and what? That's the Hebel word. He's saying it doesn't last. You can't hang on to it. It's not the meaning of life. And so... It, it, it will slip through your fingers. There's a time to be young and there's a time to be middle-aged. There's a time to be and everything's beautiful in its time. But we live in a society that says you can't let go of it. And to be honest, to use one of my dear old mum's expressions, there's nothing sadder than mutton dressed up as lamb. That's the, if you know what I mean. Alright, so that's that's the idea. There'll be a judgement, yes, don't waste your youth. Remember that God will hold us accountable. And it, it's temporary. Enjoy it while it's here, and when it's gone, it's, it's gone. Okay. Um, all right. And I should say to my wife, yes, I've preached that one to myself today, dear. I understood right. She reminds me of that often. Okay. All right. So what should you do? Well, here's the advice. We're going into the home stretch. Chapter 12, verse 1. He says this. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. If you're young, remember your Creator. Why? Before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, "I find no pleasure <coughs> in them," uh, as you age, old age, etc. It's not easy. So for um, Kathy's dad's uh, on Saturday, 94. Like yes. Yeah, Kathy's dad's 94th birthday celebration, and he's a great old bloke, but. It, it's not easy for him. He can't eat very well now. You know that he's tired all the time, etc., etc., but it's not easy. So remember you're created before those days come. And then there's a poem. Have a look. If you've got a, the, the Bible in front of you or those sheets, let me read you the poem that he says about what's, what's, what the future holds. This is a real cheer-up. Here we go. He says, remember, verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, And the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed, the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Old age. Um, The clouds that come after the rain, the darkness and so on and so on, the dark days. The keepers that tremble. Hands probably, hands that shake. The strong men are bent, maybe legs that aren't so strong. Those looking through the windows grow dim. Any ideas? What? Okay, so in the days before glasses, that's kind of, yeah, okay. Um, the almond tree blossoms, well, those of us who got to go grey will, you know, know about that if you go grey. Um, the grasshopper drags itself along, uh, there's a few different um, uh, interpretations of that. I think it's probably maybe the, the kind of ungaining walk of someone who's old with a walking stick. Perhaps, perhaps, there's others that won't go. And desire is no longer stirred, well, you can fill in the gaps on that one. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we used to go and do jobs for my grandparents or my dear old uh, maiden aunts who were like 80 something, and they're up, and I never imagined I could be something like that. I can see it now. It just slowly, inevitably, little by little happens. okay? And as they say, you can't beat time and gravity. Okay? <laughs> so um, there he is, Mr. Bodybuilding, Arnold. Um, Arnold versus time and gravity. Woo. It just um, yeah, it's her bell. You can't hold on to it. Um, I won't leave that up too long, it's depressing. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> so, so the question is, why do why do we grow old? Maybe it's just the fact that I've I've uh, hit late fifties that I just say it's in the papers and the and the internet all the time about uh, about growing old. So uh, Time magazine has a had a thing about the science of living longer. <coughs> but you read these things, and scientists are saying, oh, one, day we'll, one day we'll conquer age and we'll live forever, blah, blah. And then you think, oh, what they managed to do is double the lifespan of fruit flies. And I think, well, you know, great, terrific. But I... anyway, it's not going to happen. Or uh, this one, this baby could live to be 142 years old. Or do we want to? Do we want to live to be that old? Uh, there's a man called Quentin Crisp, who was uh, Quentin Crisp was an uh, English entertainer, actor, uh, clearly not Christian, um, spoke out against Christianity, uh, etc. The lifestyle. Every now and then, there's one of these stories that come out about we're going to live to be 142 or 130 or whatever. Listen to what he says about uh, at the end of a life. A totally different value system to what God would ha- how God would have him live. Uh, the, the article is entitled Nothing Very Civil About Living to the Age of 130. Quentin Crisp says this I'm 90 years old the, average of be- the advantage of being 90 is that you can look forward to death. The world is getting noisier, sexier and more horrible by the minute but at least I can comfort myself with the fact that the end is in sight. Or so I thought. Imagine my horror when I opened the newspaper and discovered they were going to make us live to 130. When you're 60 or 70, the thought of death crosses your mind like a shadow. It disturbs you. It worries you. But by the time you reach my age, you're longing for it. My body is dying on me. I carry it like an old overcoat. It's horrible. You start to smell the smell of death and you can do nothing about it. I can no longer see properly. I need to wear glasses when I go out, but I'm far too vain, so I walk the streets blind. You go deaf and people talk to you as if you're a non-comprehending child. Your legs give up on you. Nowadays, I spend so much time working out how to avoid making the trip downstairs more than once a day. And when I do get out, I can barely walk more than a few metres at a snail's pace. And according to those who know, I'm lucky. I'm in good shape for 90 years. This isn't a world for old people. Every few minutes there are adverts on the television telling you how to keep young, keep the lines from your face. When you're 90, you have lines all over your body, never mind your face. As Bob Hope used to say, you get to a certain age and your birthday suit needs ironing. But anyway, that's um, There's no work for old people. What would we spend 65 years or more in retirement doing? Remembering a time when we were useful? Everything today is geared towards the young. There's a terrible feeling of exclusion even for moderately old people. Where would we hide when we were 130? We would be the disappeared. And just think of the gadgets we'd need. Every house with an elevator. Ah, but the world would be so much wiser, say the optimist. I'm afraid that's an illusion. As we get older, we lose our wisdom, our mind, our language. We would have a world in which no one could communicate because we'd have forgotten how to. No, the absolute nothingness of death is a blessing. Something to look forward to. If I discovered a potion to make people live until 130, the first thing I do is to bury it. There's the, uh, the worldview under the sun as the meter is running out. And he talks about the absolute nothingness of death. Uh, I talk about the absolute absence of hope. And so where does he finish as he pushes on? Solomon says, Remember him, back to verse 1, your creator. Remember him before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the picture is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Just word pictures about before something precious is broken and can't be repaired. And the dust returns to the earth it was, and the spirit returns, sorry, dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Um, you see his point, he's, he's, he's pushed, He started by saying, well, let me show you, um, the, this book ends, he starts at the beginning, the very beginning, saying vanity of vanities, says the preacher, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, And after 12 chapters of kind of trying to make the point or look for something that lasts, something that's permanent under the sun, he gets to 12 verse 8 and says, Vanity, vanity, says Peter, all is vanity. They're meant to be bookends. It's kind of a, a complete argument. What's he saying? Nothing lasts under the sun because we don't last. Because we're temporary. We're only here for five minutes. You know... Every funeral I go to, and I guess I go to a few, it never <coughs> seems quite right or quite fair or never seems the way it was meant to be, to have somebody that you loved or cared for in a, in a box. And if you look at the rest of the Bible, the Bible's saying it wasn't meant to be this one. So uh, you go to the book of Genesis and, and God creates the man and the woman to know him. And the Lord God... Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you walk away from God, if you ignore me, you will die inevitably. And so, uh, here's what I can't understand. Our culture, my guess is many of us think of death, <coughs> death is the end. Now, that's like Quentin Christmas thinking, you know, I'll die and it'll be the end. That's not the way the Bible thinks about death. In the Bible, death is separation. It's not the end, it's separation. So you think, well, when Adam and Eve um, said that they'd surely die. Yes, they died spiritually that day. That is, they were separated from God, the source of life. And eventually they die physically when their spirit and their body are separated. The Bible talks about the idea of the second death which is being separated from God forever. So death's not the end in the way the Bible says. Death is separation. And so that terrible verse, the beginning in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It's, It's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that ultimately sees us die physically and eternally except for the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Alright, now if you're feeling just a little depressed, uh, so, so that, that's good, okay, but the, there's big news in verse 9, so that's his bookends, you get to 12 verse 8, and then there's the epilogue that's kind of, here's the secret, here's the key that unlocks life and changes everything. In verse 9, he says, it, now there's a big argument among the scholars, I guess they have to write books about something, is this someone else writing the epilogue, or is this the author <coughs> himself? What it's worth, I think, is the author himself. It's the, the whole thing soon so beautifully set up, he takes a step back and gives you the answer now. He says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find the words of delight, and up, uh, uprightly he wrote words of truth. So he put a lot of work into this. He says, The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Uh, a goat, it's not particularly high-tech, but effective, it's basically a big, long stick with a point on the end that you jab the ox up the butt and he drags the plough along. And so, what's he saying? These words are meant to be, to jab us. Uh, nail, something that you can hold on to uh, and firm and fixed in life and given by one shepherd. Uh, who is it that's the shepherd of Israel? The Lord's my shepherd. <coughs> so what's he saying? Uh-huh. Uh, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Uh, well, I, I did a quick check on Wikipedia. It's true about the books. Uh, millions of books each year published around the world, more now than in Solomon's Day. So in China, 440,000 a year. We're way down at number 14. Uh, At the moment, we only publish about 28,000 books. Uh, No end of books, no end of learning. Uh, What's he saying, verse 12? The making of books is no end, and much study wearies the flesh. That's true. If you're studying and doing your uh, VEC? VCE. VCE. Victorian Certificate of Education. (laughs) Okay, failed that one. All right. Or the HSF. Study makes you tired. That's true, but I think what he's saying is this: you can be always learning and always on the journey, and never actually arrive, never actually commit yourself. I think he's saying the time. There's a time when you actually have to. So uh, the ESV translates it as the end of the matter. All has been all has been heard. The ESV goes for uh, sorry. The NIV goes for a little bit kind of softer, saying now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. What is it that he's going to do? What is it he's going to say? Well, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. There's the key. You don't you don't live under the sun. Why? Because God's spoken to us in twelve chapters. The first time He's actually mentioned that God has given us commandments. God has spoken to us. God has told us what He wants. uh, What matters? Fear God in the Bible terms I don't think it's talking about blind terror but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and you've got to beware in our Christian culture sometimes or in parts I've bumped up against it's very easy to turn God into someone you want to have a coffee with okay? that's not the way the Bible says fear God, keep His commandments <coughs> the whole reason that God made us is so that we can know Him But that actually means treating Him as God why should we do that? Um, how are we going for time? No, you're right. All right, make okay. Why should we do that? Before I get to verse fourteen, I want to just tell you a little story. Years ago, I was studying at university. I remember this uh, before I met before I met Saint Catherine. But we had a lecturer called Ian Wilkinson. He's a, he's a good guy, and his lectures were interesting on marketing systems. Um, sitting there, and uh, I remember there's about hundred people in the lecture. And he someone asked him a question near the end of the like five minutes to go or something, and he, he said, "Oh, yeah, and he got kind of excited about it. It was a bit of a tangent. he started to write stuff on the board and someone put their hand up and said, uh, dr. Wilkinson he said, yeah. said uh, Dr. Wilkinson, is this examinable Will this be on, in the exam?" And he said, "Oh uh, uh, no, no, I won't be." And half the class stood up and walked out, and he was amazed, like this was really interesting and, and he hadn't As soon as they knew it wasn't examinable, they didn't care. Now, that's the point with the whole of life. If life is not examinable, it doesn't ultimately matter. Now, why should we fear God and keep His commandments? Saying this, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. (coughs) It's ultimately the judgment day that means that life matters good and evil matter, that the way that we act, the way that we treat others matters, uh, this is what gives life ultimately meaning and purpose. Uh, almost, almost too much meaning and purpose sometimes, that eternity hangs on how we act and how we respond to God and the way that we've treated Him. Alright, let me pull it together, there might be questions or thoughts. Uh, I think it's pretty flash what Solomon's done. Can you imagine trying to write something that would cross cultures and last 3,000 years and still talk like it's well it makes sense of today. Uh, where I work in the city, it just this is just cut through with, with people who have kind of dedicated their life to climbing the corporate ladder and making money and kind of this very impressive what's written. Now, there's a woman in the Old Testament who's very impressed with Solomon. Uh, the Queen of Sheba, or sometimes called the Queen of the South, uh, who knows what she looked like. Uh, if you're going to Google the Queen of Sheba or the Queen of the South, I'd recommend that safe search is on Google. Okay, anyway. That's, uh, so who, there's been lots of versions of what she looked like, but uh, what are we told? She was probably from, I don't know if you can see this, probably that's the Arabian Peninsula. There's debate about whether we, she was from Yemen, down here, uh, or possibly from Ethiopia. but where are we? Yemen's right down the bottom of the um, the Arabian Peninsula, below Saudi Arabia. <coughs> she travelled two, 3,000 kilometres, a lot of it on a camel, to hear Solomon and his wisdom. And we're told in 1 Kings 10, now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, God of Israel, uh, she came to test him with hard questions, and she tests him and she's she said, I've heard you were great, but It's actually greater than I had thought or planned. She's very impressed. Okay, now what's that got to do with anything? A thousand years after Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Jesus stands up and speaks about his generation. As he's speaking to them, as he's healed people, as he's uh, told them about himself, Jesus says this. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What's he saying there? This woman who was totally out of God's people heard this 2,000 kilometres on a camel to hear Solomon and I'm here and I'm greater than Solomon and you guys aren't listening. That's the point. So Jesus says he's greater than Solomon. How? First of all, Solomon pointed to the judgment day. Jesus says he himself is the judge. And Jesus warned about that again and again. He said, um, the parable of the uh, the sheep and the goats. When the son of man, his way of speaking about himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. In the Middle East, uh, you've got sheep that looks like goats and goats that look like sheep, and I can't remember why, but Jesus says he will say, he's the judge. Or, uh, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Solomon points to the judgment. Jesus says he's the judge. He himself is the judge. The second one, Solomon can show us what's wrong. Jesus came to fix it. That's, that's our and so for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me to actually deal with the problem the way that we've lived the guilt to give his life so that <coughs> we might be forgiven so why is Ecclesiastes good for us I'll tell you why because we get messages all the time that tell us to live as if we were just living under the sun. uh, Every time you pick up a newspaper or turn the TV on or go to the net or whatever, it's constant. When you understand that there'll be a judgment day and we'll all answer to God and that Jesus is Lord and we can trust Him and the promise of eternal life, it actually turns upside down the whole way you see the world and what's valuable. I guess at the moment I'm working in a world where people, it's all about how much money you've made, how high you climb the ladder, the kind of car you've got, have you got a corner office, uh, are you the head of the corporate, all that stuff. You you can fill in the gaps in your own world, how much money you've got or the house you've got or, or whatever. Once you actually understand what Ecclesiastes is saying, especially with that last with the, the the epilogue, it just turns it all upside down. So, what really matters is how have you related to your Creator? Have you turned to Jesus for forgiveness? Have you feared God? How have you treated people? What did you invest your life in? Were you compassionate? Were you generous? All all of those things It just changes it all. It turns it upside down. And so. Um, that's the reason why it's worth reading again and again. Just make sure that we don't live as if we live just under the sun. Well, I'm done, mate. Uh, We've got time for questions, comments. Any questions, comment? I know that's kind of a lot, but any questions, thoughts, comments? Is yes, it? Yeah.